Matthew 7, verses 15 through 29. The common thread in all of these texts will uh, be the, uh, the way that they speak of Christ, Jesus Christ, as prophet. So Matthew 7, verses 15 through 29. There the Lord Jesus says, speaking on uh, the mountain to the people, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty, many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's turn also now a few pages forward to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, we'll read verses 1 through 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So far from Matthew, uh, now let's also turn to Acts, the book of Acts chapter 3. Acts 3, verses 18 through 26. Here, Peter is speaking to the Jewish crowds. And he says, What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, He thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, 
that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive, until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Uh, Finally, we'll read just a few verses from the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So far from the word of God. As we reflect on all that we have read, let's sing together from Psalm 2, stanzas 3 and 4. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary of Christian doctrine and the Christian faith. Uh, we, find that, uh, we find ourselves on Lord's Day 12 this afternoon. That's on page 527. Uh, we were there last week. We're going to be camping out there for just a little while. And we'll read just some excerpts from Lord's, Lord's Day 12, question and answer 31 and 32. So the question in Lord's Day 12 is, why is he called Christ that is anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. And we'll pause there and go to question answer 32. Why are you called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing, so that I may, as prophet, confess his name. We'll stop there. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we started a a, uh, four-part mini-series on Christian discipleship, or in other words, on what it means to be a Christian or a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, The big point that our principle that we laid down last week was whatever it means for Jesus to be Christ, recognizing that's a title, not just a name, whatever it means for Jesus to be Christ, that determines what it means for you as his follower or disciple to be a Christian. Uh, we, We looked last week at this name Christ, and we saw that it is much more than just a name. It is a title, and it makes a claim about who Jesus is. Uh, we saw last week also that that title is rooted in the Old Testament, uh, in, that, in the concept of a Messiah, an anointed one, uh, who, who God promised would come. We also saw that uh, in the Old Testament there were these three categories of people that would be anointed by God, prophets, priests, and kings, and that all of them point forward to a great prophet, priest, and king. Uh, That's then where we want to pick up this afternoon. We saw last week that Christ 
is the prophet sent by God, the high priest given by God, and the king who rules with the authority of God. That's what it means for him to be Christ. And, and that confession then becomes the paradigm by which we now understand and unpack what it means to be a Christian. A Christian, uh, very simply, is a disciple of Christ the prophet. A Christian is one who is redeemed by the blood of Christ the priest. And a Christian is a loyal subject of Christ the king. Uh, so we want to begin then by looking at Christ's role as prophet and asking, what does it mean? to be a follower or disciple of Christ as prophet. Now, the Bible is a book of of prophets. It was written under the inspiration of God almost entirely by prophets. Uh, Moses is probably the most well-known of the prophets. He was called by God, if you remember the scene of of the burning bush, and there God uh, encountered Moses and called him as a prophet to speak God's word to, to, to Pharaoh and then to lead God's people out of Egypt to the promised land. Uh, The first five books of the Bible were written by Moses as a prophet. He speaks on behalf and and writes on behalf of God. Uh, So very simply put, a prophet is someone who is commissioned by God to speak the words of God. That's what a prophet is. Uh, As we've been working through the the book of Kings, uh, that too is a book that that very much, even though it's called Kings, uh, in many ways it focuses even more on on prophets. And it gives us a glimpse of of what the prophets lived through uh, during the history of Israel. Uh, They were called in many different circumstances to speak the words of God. It was not always a lovely calling. It was not always a calling they wanted or even embraced. But it was a calling that God laid upon them. They were to speak sometimes words of rebuke, sometimes words of correction, sometimes words of warning, sometimes words of healing. Uh, It it was in many ways uh, one of the most noble and esteemed callings in Israel, but it could often be one of the most heart-wrenching and agonizing callings a person could ever receive. Uh, So weighty was the calling as prophet that that many of them spent their entire life in misery, uh, hating the job, but, but nonetheless having to to fulfill it. Uh, You can see this especially in Isaiah and and even more in Jeremiah. Uh, When Isaiah was called to be a prophet, uh, the words of his calling are are given in Isaiah chapter 6. And God, here's here's his calling. Uh, Take this as as an interesting inaugural sermon. Uh, In Isaiah 6, God says to him, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. How's that for a calling? And that was Isaiah's life. He spent his life doing that, speaking to a people who only grew more and more deaf to the ears of God. Uh, There in in God's calling to him, Isaiah responds and he says, How long, O Lord? How long do you do that? And and God says, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. Uh, That was Isaiah's calling. Uh, To be a prophet was not always a desirable role. And they certainly didn't speak the words that they wanted to speak. They spoke the words that God gave them to say. Uh, So it was a very noble task to carry God's words to his people. uh, But it was also very often a terrible task uh, for Isaiah. A task that he was assured right from the beginning it's going to fail, or at least it's, it's not going to succeed in bringing about repentance. He was there to speak, not so that God would be able to bless them, but rather so that God would be able to be justified in condemning them. 
Uh, Jeremiah's calling is, is probably even more miserable. Uh, Jeremiah is known um, by the nickname of the weeping prophet. Uh, for him, it was an agonizing and a very lonely calling to be a prophet of God. He faced severe persecution in Jerusalem, uh, sometimes very severe punishments for speaking the word of God. Uh, and he was called to prophesy things that he hated to, to say. Uh, you see this over and over again as you read Jeremiah. He hated what he had to say, and yet God told him, you, you must say this. Uh, his prophecies are, are, are just terrible, and they're always intermixed with his own laments. He's told to speak some words of destruction and judgment, and, and then after that it follows his prayer to God. Uh, this is the pattern you see in Jeremiah. He prays, God, how can I say this? God, how can this be? Uh, and he gives us there a picture of the calling and the heart of, of a prophet. Uh, Jeremiah 20 really uh, shows this. Uh, in Jeremiah 20, he says, uh, he says there, I've become a laughing stock all the day. Everyone mocks me. Uh, for whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. But if I say, I will not mention him or speak in his name anymore, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. That's the calling of a prophet. One who cannot but speak the words of God, though he may not even love them or, or even like them. Now, the prophets spoke because they were commissioned by God and burdened by God to speak the words of God. In fact, the Hebrew word for oracle is, is the same word as the, the Hebrew word for burden. It was the prophet's burden to bring the word of God to the people. Uh, so many of the words that we have in our Bibles coming from the prophets are going to be words of judgment or words of correction. God calling his people from evil and idolatry back to repentance and worship. Uh, many of them are, are words of judgment where God has already done that many, many times and now speaks words of condemnation. Uh, th those were miserable words for prophets to have to bring to their own kinsmen, to their own people, uh, but they, they did so. Uh, sometimes the prophets did also speak words of healing. Uh, they would speak of times when, at least in the future, God would come and restore uh, the covenant, restore his people, call them back to himself, put his spirit in them. Uh, the prophet Joel speaks at length of, of the day when God's spirit would come to God's people. Uh, and so the, pro the, the calling of a prophet was not just to correct or to comfort, as the case may be. It was also to reveal God's purposes and God's plans. How do we know what God is busy doing in the world? We know by hearing the prophets speak. Uh, so, so their calling was also to reveal the plans and the purposes of, of God. Uh, and yet none of these prophets... Uh, ever brought about that the day that they ultimately spoke of, that repentance and renewal that God had called them to bring about. All of them looked forward to that day. They talked or they spoke of, of that day, uh, but none of them made it to that day. Each of them eventually died and was replaced by another prophet who kept on looking forward uh, until the very end of the prophetic age. And, and at the end of the, the prophetic age, there's a 400-year period of silence from the last of the prophets to the beginning of the New Testament, 400 years where God was done for a time speaking through his prophets. Uh, and more and more as you follow the, the, the line of the Old Testament forward, uh, more and more as the prophets looked forward, uh, they, they spoke more and more of, of a day that would come that would do what every one of them could never accomplish themselves, uh, where God would finally bring about the fulfillment of, of their hopes. Uh, and, and, and that the Lord would then send the prophet, the one prophet, who would be the prophet of, of prophets. Well, when we confess that Jesus is Christ, we're confessing that he is that prophet. Uh, the prophet of prophets, the fulfillment of everything that the prophetic role itself pointed forward to.
Uh, in other words, we're not just saying that Jesus is a great prophet like the other prophets that came before him, but rather we are saying that Jesus is the paradigm for prophets. He is the prophet that all of them failed to be, that none of them could, could, could reach up and be. Uh, while they, the prophets, spoke the word of God, Jesus came embodying the Word of God. Uh, the Gospel of John calls him the Word of God. Uh, that's how he speaks of, of Christ. Uh, while they spoke of the fulfillment of God's plans, Christ brought about the fulfillment of God's plans. Uh, while they shared in a measure of God's Spirit, Christ came as the fullness of God's Spirit embodied in human flesh. Uh, the fullness of God dwelling in Him. He was far and above uh, everything that the prophets could only ever dream of being. The perfect paradigm of a prophet. Uh, and while the prophets spoke with a derived authority, they always had to say, Thus says the Lord, uh, Jesus could say, uh, Thus saith I. <laughs> I don't know if that's proper King James, but thus I say. In, in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, it says, You've heard that it was said, but I say this to you. He spoke with absolute authority, the authority of God Himself. Uh, so what then does it mean when we confess that Jesus is the great prophet? Uh, it means that we confess in the first place that Jesus speaks the words of God and shows us the perfect way of God. Uh, one of the places we see this the most clearly is on the sermon, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the way Matthew tells the story of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it's very clear what Matthew is doing. He, he's highlighting how Jesus is what Moses could only ever dream of being. Uh, just as Moses went on the mountain and, and spoke with all the people the words of God, so Jesus now stands on the mountain, but speaks with an authority even greater than that of Moses. Uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus uh, gave the law, like Moses did. He said, you've heard that it was said. Uh, but then he also revealed the perfect will of God that stands even behind the law. It's not just, here's what God has said, it's, here's what God desires. Uh, here's the, the will that stands behind the law. Uh, so he says, you've heard that it was said, but now I say to you, and takes it to a whole, a whole different level. Uh, and the Lord Jesus was very clearly aware in that moment on the mountain, he was very much aware of his calling as a prophet. Uh, we, we saw this also in the text that we read together. He, he first warns of the false prophets. He's drawing a distinction between himself and others and says, watch out for false prophets. And, and then at the end of his teaching, listen to what he says he says, he who hears these words of mine and does them is like a man who builds his house on a rock. That's a man who's confident of his divine calling. Uh, he hears my words and does them. Uh, and, and also when Jesus finished teaching, it says the crowds were amazed because he spoke not like their scribes, but more or, or rather uh, as one who had authority. Uh, and and the, difference, the difference in magnitude between Jesus and all of the other prophets is the difference between men who spoke the word of God and God himself speaking. It's that difference in, in magnitude. Uh, one of the places you see this the most vividly is in, on the Mount of Transfiguration, which we read of uh, from Matthew 17. So the Lord Jesus went up on a high mountain with, with three of His disciples, and there He was transfigured before the eyes of His disciples, and, and they saw Him speaking with Moses and Elijah, uh, the, the two greatest prophets, uh, together with Elisha. Uh, and, and then a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, listen to Him. Do you hear the distinction, the contrast between Moses and Elijah and the Lord Jesus? God looks down and says, They're my prophets. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. 
the, the significance of that moment then is, is that Jesus was not just up there as an equal, as one as great as, as Moses and Elijah, but as one radically far greater than either of them. Uh, if God's people then listen to Moses, and if they then listen to Elijah, how much more should they then listen to the, the very Son of God? If you could discern the Spirit of God at work in Moses, and if you could see the Spirit of God at work in Elijah, as God's people did, how much more shouldn't we be able to see the Spirit of God at work in the very Son of God Himself? The, the author to the Hebrews makes the same point in the text that we read there. Uh, the book opens with these words, saying, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Now, you see the contrast there. Before it was through the prophets, now it's far greater. Now God speaks to us through His Son. So when we confess that Jesus is the Christ, we confess that He is the prophet of prophets, the very embodiment of what a prophet ought to be, and far greater of a different magnitude even than every other prophet who came before Him. Uh, we, We are saying that all the will of God, all the plans of God are not only revealed by Him, but brought to fulfillment by by Him. Uh, We confess, in other words, that the words that He speaks are the very words of God, and they themselves bring life. Just as when God spoke in creation, and it was, uh, so when Jesus speaks, His words bring life. Uh, the, the Apostle John also uh, speaks of this in, in the introduction to his gospel. We didn't read that together. Uh, but everywhere he speaks of Jesus, he speaks of him as the Word of God. So the very first verses of, of the gospel of John say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and John 1 verse 14 says, The Word of God, or, or the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, think of the difference in magnitude between the glory. There's the glory of Moses. When Moses came down from the mountain, uh, the people saw his face shining. There was light coming from His face. Uh, but, but Jesus' glory is not just the glory of one who's you know, spent a lot of time in the presence of God. His face shows the very glory of God Himself. Uh, that's what John says. In Him we have seen glory as of the only Son from the Father. Uh, He says even more in verse 17 of John 1. uh, John says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the, the, the condemnation, half of the picture is given in Moses, but the full picture, God's salvation, is given in Christ. Uh, the fullness of God's will and the fullness of God's plan, the outpouring of God's grace comes through Christ. Uh, finally, one more from, from John. John also says, no one, no one has ever seen God, but the only begotten Son of God who is at the Father's side has made Him known. Uh, So, Jesus does not just reveal God, uh, reveal the Father as a prophet who speaks about Him. He reveals Him as His only Son. As a Son reveals His Father, which is very different than as a prophet merely reveals God. Uh, So, all of that, that is what we confess when we call Jesus Christ. We say He is the prophet of prophets, indeed the very Son of God. Uh, and as we, see, as we see Christ doing all of these things, we, we recognize He is doing in His life the work of a prophet. Uh, for example, He teaches the will of God. You think of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a part of which we read from a moment ago. Uh, he, he, he teaches us the will of God. He teaches us the law of God, as the prophets uh, did. Uh, and He teaches us the way to keep God's law, how, how we are to follow God's will. 
He teaches the plans and the purposes of God. All these things that a prophet uh, was expected to do, Jesus does uh, in fullness. He reveals God's will fully. Uh, we, we think of Christ especially teaching his disciples uh, that the Son of Man would, would be delivered and handed over to be crucified and on the third day would rise. Uh, how, how he revealed this is what God's purpose consists of, something that the prophets had alluded to and yet the people of God did not see until Jesus revealed that to them. Uh, you think also of uh, how Christ, after his resurrection, there's that wonderful story in Luke 24 on, on the road to Emmaus as he's walking with two of his disciples. He opens the word of God. Isn't that what a prophet does? He opens the word of God, but then he shows how all of it points to himself. Uh, he's not just one who speaks the word of God. He's the one of whom the word of God speaks. If that's what it means then for Jesus to be Christ, what does it mean for you and I to be Christians? Now, we saw last week a Christian is simply a disciple of Christ. Uh, so here now we get to speak about discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ as prophet? Well, surely in the first place, it means that we listen. We are a people who listen to the words of God's prophets. Uh, We listen to the words of Christ concerning God's redemption, God's plans, God's purposes, God's law, uh, God's will for our lives. Uh, all All that the people would listen to the prophets for, how much more do we then listen to Christ to hear these things. Uh, As God's prophet, Christ then reveals to us God's plan for our salvation. We say, this is the only way to be saved. How do we know? Because that's what our prophet, Christ, teaches us. Uh, This is what God wants of us. How do we know? Because that's what Christ teaches us. Uh, So, practically, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that we accept and believe in the first place, as Christ taught us, that all the scriptures really do point forward to him. It means even more that we accept and, and believe as, as he taught us that he came from God. Uh, he was sent by God to give us life, the life we could never have gotten for ourselves. Uh, to, to also die the death that we deserve to die and then to rise from death to bring us into eternal life. Uh, As he says in in John 3, verse 14, uh, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Is that not what a Christian is? It's one who believes in the Son of God who came from God to give us life. Uh, Christians are then, uh, Christians are those who hear the words of Christ concerning himself and believe them and recognize in them that he came to fulfill all of God's purposes for us and to save us from our sin. Uh, As Christ says in John 5 verse 24, he, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Uh, There's a a one-sentence description of this is what a Christian is. It's one who hears Jesus' words and believes the one who sent him and in him, therefore, has eternal life. Now, that also means if Christ is our prophet, that also means we we listen to and obey the words of Christ. Uh, So if we confess that Christ is the prophet sent from God, uh, that means that not only do we learn from Him God's plans for our salvation, we also learn from Him God's will for our lives. That's what it means to be a disciple of a prophet. You not only learn wisdom from Him, but you also learn how to live from Him. And what the Lord Jesus teaches us, uh, we read in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, whoever hears my words and does them, may be compared to a man who builds his house on a rock. A true disciple of Christ is not just one who hears his words, 
It's one who also does them. In fact, in that, uh, in that text, both of the two people, the wise man and the foolish man, are people who heard Jesus' words. Uh, he, he says of the first, he who hears my words and does them, it's like a man who builds his house on the rock. The second, he who hears my words but does not do them, is like a man who builds his house on the sand. Both hear his words. A disciple is one who then goes and does them, who obeys them. Uh, so we might, we might think about that in the context of that sermon. What does it mean to be someone who hears Jesus' words and then does them? Uh, well, it, it would mean different things depending on, on what, what are Jesus' words uh, referring to. Uh, so when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, how does a disciple hear his word and do it? Well, he repents of his spiritual pride. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. So I will seek to be poor and humble in spirit. Uh, when Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, a Christian repents of his lack of mourning uh, for the injustice in the world, for his own sin, for the kingdom of God and the cause of Christ, uh, the, the need that he in this world has for the kingdom of God. Uh, that's what a Christian does as he, as he not only hears Jesus' words, but does them. Uh, when Jesus says, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent commits adultery in his heart, a Christian is one who not only hears that, but who acknowledges his sin, repents of it from his heart, and seeks forgiveness for it from God. Uh, When Jesus teaches us to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, uh, a Christian is one who hears Jesus' words and then does them, uh, knowing that this is God's will for me, that I should pray for those who persecute me, that I should pray for those who hate me and who slander me uh, in order to keep God's will. Uh, A Christian is one who hears Jesus' words and does them. A Christian is one who will learn to to relate to God as Father. How often Jesus had to teach, God is your Father. Ask and you will receive. Knock uh, and and the door will be opened and and so forth. Uh, He is your Father. A Christian is one who learns to pray as the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, that's why we have in this church we have six weeks every year devoted to to unpacking the Lord's or every two years anyway uh, devoted to unpacking the Lord's prayer uh, learning to pray as Jesus teaches us a Christian is one who learns to give generously in secret because his reward is in heaven remember Jesus' words to that effect a Christian is one who learns to forgive as God has forgiven us That's what it means to hear Jesus' words and do them. A Christian is one who who, who seeks to be reconciled to his brother. How often Jesus had to say that as well, that this is God's will for you, that you be reconciled to your brother. Uh, So if, if we confess that Christ is the prophet sent by God, a Christian is one who listens to the words of that prophet and believes them and obeys them. Now, what does that look like in, in, in practice? Uh, in the first place, it, this means that a Christian is one who hears the call of Christ to repent and be baptized and obeys. It's the very first act of a Christian who hears Jesus' call to repentance and does it, who repents and believes and is baptized. Uh, that was uh, his, Jesus' final words to his disciples in Matthew 28. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Being a disciple of Christ, being a Christian, begins with repentance and being baptized into his name. But it certainly doesn't end there. That's not all it means to be a Christian. If we confess that Jesus as Christ spoke the words of God as the great prophet of prophets, uh, surely uh, something else it means then, as one to, who, who has been made a Christian, uh, is, is to be one who is invested and immersed in the whole of God's word. Now, that doesn't only refer to the words spoken from Jesus' mouth, uh, the, you know, the ones in red 
in, in your red letter Bibles, but rather all the words of God written by all the prophets who spoke from God. If they are prophets, even in the Old Testament, who speak from God, then they are prophets who speak from Christ, because Christ is God. It was His Spirit who worked in them. Uh, as Christ himself affirmed and taught, as he says in Matthew 5, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but rather to fulfill them. Uh, there, there's sometimes a misunderstanding in, in contemporary Christianity that, that Christians really only need to concern themselves with, with the red letters in, in your Bibles, the ones that Christ himself spoke, uh, as if those words carry some sort of special status. Uh, but but that's, that's silliness. All of the Word of God uh, is, is the Word of God. Uh, all of the Bible is. Uh, some of it was spoken directly out of Christ's very mouth. Other words were spoken by Christ's Spirit, working in other uh, prophets sent by Christ. But all of it was spoken under the inspiration of God. Now, all of it was either affirmed or fulfilled uh, by Christ. Uh, we think of, of, of the Old Testament having been fulfilled by, by Christ, uh, or, or was spoken or written under the commission of Christ, looking towards the New Testament. The apostles were sent by Christ. Every one of them begins their, their letters saying, Paul or Peter, an apostle of Christ. Uh, they were sent by Christ, speaking words on behalf of Him and endowed with His, his Spirit. So a Christian is not just one who, who concerns himself with the red letters in the Bible. A Christian is one who is immersed in the whole of God's Word as Christ Himself was. Uh, you think of how often Christ Himself spoke uh, the words of God citing the Old Testament as he was there in the desert uh, being tempted by Satan. Every one of his rebukes are citations from Scripture. Shall not put the Lord your God to, to the test, right, and, and, and so forth. Uh, so we, we, we do not want to fall into the mistake that, that some people make of, of distinguishing between the words of God, separating the words of Christ as if they carry some, some special status. A Christian, then, is one who's devoted to the words of God and finds his very life there in the word of God. That means a Christian is one who will read Scripture. Uh, someone who doesn't care about what Scripture says cannot possibly be a Christian. A Christian is one who reads Scripture, who studies Scripture, uh, who does that both by himself as well as in the company uh, of others. You think of the very first Christians in Acts chapter 2. If you want to see what's the raw definition of a Christian, I want to see a picture of a brand new Christian before all the influence of you know, instituted religion. Well, go to Acts 2 and, and look at what were the Christians like then. Uh, and Peter preaches his first sermon under the inspiration of Christ. 3,000 people are baptized. And what does it say they do? Uh, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Sounds a lot like what Christians do today. If you want a description of discipleship, that's what it looks like. One who is devoted to the words of Christ, through the words of the apostles as well, uh, through the, to the words of Christ, who's baptized and, and then lives in fellowship with other Christians, in relationship with God and with other Christians. Now, uh, of course, we could, this, this sermon could go infinitely long as we unpack all of the things that Jesus uh, teaches us, all that's entailed in hearing the words of God and, and obeying them. Uh, obviously, that doesn't happen in, in one sermon. So this is not a, a, you know, a, a complete summary of everything that it is to be a Christian, because a Christian is one who obeys all the words of God. Uh, that's why we go in this church through the Heidelberg Catechism year after year, unpacking. Look at what the Word of God says about our sin. Look at what the Word of God says about how we are saved. Look at what the Word of God says about how we are to live as a people who are saved. That's, that's being a Christian, unpacking, studying the Word of, of God. So, so a disciple of Christ then, going back to our definition, is simply one who hears the words of Christ the prophet, believes them, and obeys them as the very words of God. Having said that, we're not done just yet, but almost. 
Having said that, we also want to take a moment to consider, uh, on another level still, the, the point that we made last week, that, as, that a Christian is not just a disciple of Christ, but also one who shares in Christ's anointing. Uh, so a Christian is not just one who follows Christ as prophet, a Christian is someone who's anointed as a prophet himself or herself. Uh, if you remember from last week in 1 John 2, the Apostle John says we've all been anointed with the Holy One. Uh, so we're not just disciples, we are Christ's Messiahs in ourselves uh, through Christ. So what does it mean then for us to, be, uh, to, to share in Christ's anointing as a prophet? In the first place, it means we are given the same Holy Spirit with which Christ was fully filled, we too uh, share in His Spirit, so that we may know, like the prophets of old, we may know the truth and testify to it. Uh, that, that, was, uh, that point was made in, in uh, 1 John 2, where John says, You've been anointed with the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Uh, being a disciple of Christ, being a Christian, is one who's anointed with the Spirit and therefore has a knowledge of the truth. Uh, you've heard the words of God through Christ. You've been anointed with the Spirit. And you share in the calling, therefore, to go and testify to that truth. You are to be a prophet in this world. Now, not every Christian is given the, the formal task or calling uh, to go out into the world and evangelize as a formal evangelist. Uh, the command that Christ gave his disciples in Matthew 28 is a command for the church, uh, but not, not a command that is to be individualized to every specific Christian. Uh, however, uh, when it comes to our relationships with unbelievers, we are called nonetheless to be in front of them bearers of the word of God. It's still a prophetic calling. We are to be witnesses. Uh, every single Christian is called within their own sphere, within their own responsibilities, their own jurisdiction, if you want to call it that, to be a witness to the truth of the gospel and to make the most of every opportunity to pronounce and share that truth, including also as God gives us opportunity with unbelievers. We do this by, by, by preaching, as it were, by testifying to the truth in every circumstance. I want to break this down uh, real quick. We preach, first of all, every one of us, we preach to ourselves. It's very easy to forget that that's your first audience as a prophet, you are to preach to yourself. Uh, every one of us is called to preach the gospel to himself or herself. You think of Paul's command in, in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Notice that's a command. It's an imperative. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How do you do that? You do that by dwelling on the words of God and speaking them to yourself, uh, being, uh, being the preacher in your own pulpit, speaking the word of God to your own heart and life, saying, I, I hear what God says, uh, and, and this is therefore what I must do. Uh, that, that is our calling as, as prophets. Uh, secondly, on the next level, uh, we are called to be prophets uh, as we speak the word of God to one another. Uh, this is such a huge theme in the New Testament. Uh, you, you think of the command in Colossians 3, verse 16, uh, where, where Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Is that not a prophetic calling? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's a prophetic calling. Uh, or in, in the words of Hebrews 3, verse 13, uh, Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's a calling for prophets. Uh, that is your calling. Uh, this is true especially for those of us who've been given uh, others in our care, whether it's as elders or deacons, but also as parents, uh, those who have children in our care. Your calling as a prophet then extends 
to, to your, your children. You have a, a responsibility from God towards them to testify to the truth of Christ. And, and every one of you who, who, who are parents have made that commitment as you brought your, your children forward to be baptized uh, in, into the covenant. Uh, so, so those of us who have been given children, uh, this is also true of teachers, have a prophetic calling towards them. Uh, that's, that's simply an outworking of, of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, and then on a third level, uh, we are also called, every one of us, as prophets, to speak the word of God in the midst of this dark culture. Uh, looking outwards, outside the church, we are to be lights on a hill. We are to be the salt of the earth, and that happens by speaking the words of God. Now again, that doesn't mean every one of us is given a formal calling as an evangelist, But it does mean that we are to be witnesses to the truth of the gospel in every opportunity that presents us, it presents itself to us, and that we eagerly pursue those opportunities to proclaim, to testify to the truth of Christ. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 4, verse 5, Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's a prophetic calling towards the world around. Uh, You can see this worked out in in the first chapters of Acts. Uh, The way the first Christians there conducted themselves in in those days. Uh, For example, in Acts 1, uh, Acts 1, excuse me, Acts 8. Acts 8 verse 1 describes the the first wave of persecution that hit the Christian church and just, just scattered the Christians around. And it says there, All the believers were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, uh, except for the apostles. And then verse 8, or excuse me, verse 4, so Acts 8 verse 4, says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now, I don't know, if, is that referring only to the pastors, only to the ministers? It doesn't sound like it because it says all the Christians were scattered. Uh, the, the word preach, I don't think of that just as a, a preacher's calling, a formal calling. It just means to proclaim in the Greek. So all of those who were scattered went out and proclaimed the word of God. Uh, likewise, in, in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, Paul, Paul praises the Thessalonians because he says, Not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything about you. That's prophets living out their calling as bearers of the word of God. Uh, So even though not every individual Christian is given that formal calling as an evangelist, every Christian is united to Christ the prophet, the great prophet sent by God, and anointed together with him to be a prophet or prophetess, uh, who's anointed with the same spirit and partakes in that same responsibility with Christ to testify to the truth of God wherever you go. So let me conclude. Uh, When we as Christians say, I believe in Jesus Christ, we are making a very great claim about him. That he is the prophet of prophets. The one sent by God to show us the way of salvation, to teach us the truth, and to lead us in the way of God. So we, in turn, confess that in him is found all the wisdom of God. We hear his words, we believe his words, and we obey his words. And together with him, as those anointed with him, we become, like the prophets of old, a light in the darkness, a bearer of the word of God. And and those who are called then to confess his name, testify his, his truth to ourselves, to one another, to our children, and to the whole world around. Amen.